I'm Dan Brown. I'm here today again with another A Lens A Day, conversations about information architecture. And I'm super excited today to talk to the very wise Kiara Ogan. Kiara, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Um, we've known each other for a while. Long now. time. Yeah. Did you go to the IA Summit back in 2000? Yes, I was there. I wonder if that's where we first met. I was kind of shy at that one, so I didn't meet a lot of people. Look, it would have the 2002 was when yeah. I really met people. Look, in 2000, we were all shy. <laughs> I don't even know how we had a conference. <laughs> Just a bunch of little introverts. Like, <laughs> do you like organizing? Yay! <laughs> so, uh, thank you for joining me on this little experiment. Uh, I, I, I'm doing it because I miss talking to folks, uh, talking shop with folks. Um, and uh, one of the things that I feel like we get to hear a lot about at the IA conference is uh, how people do this work. It's, it's weird work. And, I, and literally just yesterday, I've had, I had two experiences with client meetings where I was like, wait a minute, I need to kind of do a little bit of reset and make sure everyone knows what I'm doing and where I'm going and what's happening on this project. Right. Help, can you talk to us a little bit about, like, uh, in your process, where do you find people need the most help uh, in um, sort of understanding what this thing is about? Where, where in the process is it, from your experience, kind of the biggest, uh, obstacle that people need to overcome in order to kind of get on board with what you're doing. Yeah. So there are two diagrams that I like to show my clients a lot, especially to kind of help them understand the journey that we're going to be on. The first is the double di diamond, right? Like we're going to go wide and understand as much as we can. Then we're going to turn that corner and then we're going to come together and filter it. And then we're going to go wide again. And we're going to do that as many times as we need. And that looks all like really clear and smooth. And like, you know, we, we have a chart set a course charted and we're just gonna go and then i show them the squiggle right the one that's like all craziness around and then it slowly gets less crazy and eventually like to mostly a straight line i'm like this is what it feels like <laughs> especially when we do that turn and so there's a lot of times where I've, I've had with clients where i've had to bring up the squiggle multiple times and i'm like okay we're here right now. That's why this feels weird and scary. And like, we don't know what we're doing and we're going backwards, not forward. It's because we're in this squiggle area. But I promise, <laughs> strap in and we'll get smoother. And it does, right? Because we've gone wide. We've talked to users. We've talked to stakeholders. We've like done our content analysis and we have all this deconstructed stuff on the floor and then we have to start making sense of it and that's the part that gets scary and weird because they're like but how is this going to help my client like buy new sneakers right or whatever like how are they going to help people get this piece of information and i'm like hold on like it will resolve <laughs> what's, what's funny to me what's interesting to me is uh those diagrams were put together um to describe the design process in general. Mm -hmm. And yet I feel like they are maybe especially apropos 
in the design process of information architecture uh, because IA, I think, deals with abstractions, but it also deals with um, things that uh, are inherently very messy um, and you can't see the order until you experience the chaos. Yeah. Does that, does, is there something about IA that sort of lends itself in your mind to how messy it needs to get before it can get clear? Um, for me, I always use the Lego example, and I'm going to use this again when we talk about the apples to apples lens, because to me, they just fit so well. Like, usually I come into clients where they already have an information architecture, whether that was intentional or not whether it has gone feral over the years or not. And you have to deconstruct everything, right? And then like, once you get all those pieces on the floor, then you can start putting things together. And sometimes you're like, nope, this isn't looking like a giraffe. It's looking like a rhino and we wanted a giraffe, right? And so you have to take it apart again. And because it's so conceptual, and I think also because I've been doing this for 20 years, I skip a lot of steps in my head and I have to remember to bring the client along in the process. And so it's a lot of reassuring because for them, it doesn't become real until we have a wireframe. You know, like we can do controlled vocabularies and in the abstract, they're like, this is awesome. And then they go to start applying the tags to their content and they're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And we have to go back because like they, it can be really hard to combine that tactical with the conceptual. And so it's when you have those tangible deliverables that it like a lot of people, then it starts to click. Do you feel like it's important? I'm, I'm gonna ask you a very loaded, obvious question, but do you feel like it's important to uh, involve people in those things, even if you know it's not clicking, uh, or maybe to ask that better, what is the value of involving people in those processes, even though it's not until steps three or four mm -hmm. that, uh, or five or six, that it's not even going to become meaningful to them? Yeah. Um, I've found it's often helpful, like, to find the one person on the client team who's like the budding IA or like they're an I, I don't want to say closeted, but like they have IA tendencies that maybe haven't had a chance to like really bloom. Um, I did this project um, with Kaiser Labor Management Partnership and we had a large, we, our working group was like five or six people. And then we had a larger stakeholder team that we kept informed, but there were really two people on that team who like went on the deep dive journey with me. And that was really important for two reasons. One, it meant that they understood the process. They're the subject matter experts, not me. Like as fast as I can get up to speed on their content, like they know what the stuff is. And two, I'm gonna leave. And so I need someone who really understands the why we made the decisions we did. And so not everybody needs to see the sausage being made, but someone needs to make sure that we're putting in the right mixture, like in order to get something tasty at the end. I mean, I feel like there's this question that's been a thread, not just in these conversations that I'm getting to have, but 
really throughout our careers. And when you say someone's a, a budding IA or has IA tendencies, mm -hmm. there is a there is a an invisible cat, and there's a cat in the room that we are not addressing. Mm -hmm. And I I wonder if we should just address that now, which is what do we mean by IA tendencies? Is it okay for me to put you on the spot? Yeah, but, uh, sure. What what is that to, to you? Is there something that you're looking for? Or something that you recognize in someone uh, who maybe can you can kind of get on the same wavelength with with yeah. these kinds of problems. Yeah. So often there is somebody on that working team who has been struggling and trying to do the IA work without the support or necessarily like the being tasked specifically with that. So they either personally, like they'll come up to me after a meeting and they're like, I organized my spice cabinet by, you know, by subject and then alphabetically. And it's like, they're confessing something, right? Or they're like, you know, I'll start talking about metadata and how that's gonna improve search. And then we can, you know, use it for relevancy. And like their eyes just light up and they're like, oh, I knew there had to be something like that, but I didn't have the words for it. And it's like, they, they just, there's a way that they kind of get brighter and they get excited when I give them the words and be like, no, this is a thing. It's a whole discipline. And we have methodologies and processes and ways to make it easier. And you are not alone, right? That thing we've been saying at the IA summit and conference for decades, like you are not alone. <laughs> There's more of us out here. Like they just innately see, I think, structure in things. They innately want to categorize things. They, they want to like help bring order to the chaos that is around mm. them. Yeah, I, I feel like um, there's one or two people on project teams who suddenly ask really profound questions they're not more important than any other questions that i get asked right but they ask profoundly ia questions well well if we had those tagged that means we could make a connection between them right or if we added a metadata field that looked like this we could do these kinds of searches right they sort of um end up in that place where we live as right. well of kind of seeing how seeing those structures uh in kind of a uh neo in the matrix kind of way where we sort of see the structures behind uh the services and the products uh that that we design and for me it's often the questions uh that get asked is there like a a question uh or an observation that you see someone make that gets you really excited like Maybe this is someone that I can sort of bring on this journey with me. Is there something that you recognize in someone besides the spice organization that, that you feel like um, speaks to these challenges? Um, it's there. I wouldn't say that there's one set question, but it, it's a lot often a lot like what you just said, like we've had our stuff organized by content type. So all the PDFs together, all the Excel spreadsheets together. And I'm like, well, what if we did it by topic? And then we had like the one PDF and the two spreadsheets and the download. And they're like, Poof, 
and there's someone who's like I've been talking about that for months right and so like though that that's usually how for me the conversations come out and they're like they'll or I'll like put a little seed of like this could be possible and then they just like blossom in a whole new direction yep. and I'm like yes you are yes. my peoples yes <laughs> it's a good feeling and it's nice to know that it's like um uh that you don't have to be an IA to have an IA mindset, right? Like that, 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 that is a, um, I was, I was talking to some cardiologists last week and uh, on this product that I'm designing. And there was one who just started saying those kinds of things. And I'm like, you deal with hearts for a living. And yet you're kind of seeing as we build this information space, how to build these connections. It was, it was very gratifying uh, for me just to experience that. Is there one part of the IA process that stands out to you as like your favorite moment in it? Is there, I know every project is different and we follow different methods depending on the nature of the, the problem that we're dealing with. But I'm curious, is there sort of one piece of it that just gets you super excited? Um, there's a couple and they're exciting for different reasons. Um, one is I love doing content analysis. I love breaking down and like getting into the nitty gritty and seeing what's in the dusty corners and then pulling them out and then starting to be like, do these two go together? No, it's this one. No, it's, oh, what if we did these three? And like that I find personally very gratifying, right? Like finding that order in the chaos. But then there also is the moment when we kind of take it to the client and be like, we're going to come up with content packages or, you know, something which we're leaving the um, organization by type off, off to its side and we're going to lead with this. And like that mo that reveal moment is often like it just feels so good because often there's a collective sigh in the room of like oh my goodness this works so much better like what can we do with like having these topics and then the things come together and I've used that model in a lot of my different projects right because it just it works and it's solid right and then you cue the squiggly line diagram because it's like yep. you've had this epiphany Everyone's excited about it. And now we're all looking at the world in a new way, which in a sense kind of triggers its own. Right. Chaos. Like, you know, me and the couple people on the core team have done that. You know, we, we turned the corner together and now we're showing it to everyone else and we can expand again and be right. like, okay, in this new world order, what are all our options? How can we push the edges? How can we, what are, what have we missed? Like, what do we not take into account? What can we streamline and make easier? you know, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Um, so let's talk about uh, the lens that you yeah. picked. What, can you tell us what lens you picked and what about it, maybe describe it in your own words. Yeah, so um, I picked the apples to apples. And um, to me, that is, I kind of alluded it with the Lego pieces. That's how I often talk about it with my clients because Legos are fun and most everyone has interacted with them, right? At some point in their life, if not stepping on them that morning with their kids, <laughs> right? And it really is that like figuring out 
what are all the different types that we have that we're dealing with? And when I say content types, I don't just mean like, is it a PDF? Is it an Excel spreadsheet? Like, no, is this a is this a help documentation? Is it a product spec specification? Like, what are the different elements that are going into it? And it can be really nitty gritty, like coming up with a content model of like, everything has headlines and it's got lead text and paragraphs and three images and you know, that kind of stuff aren't up to like these broader types of categories. But it really is like breaking everything down and figuring out what are those Lego pieces? Are they by color? Are they by, you know, is it a two up? Is it a one by six? Is it, you know, a two by six? Like, what is it? And then you can start figuring out, well, what are the um, patterns that are significant, right? Because there's no one way that we can put these things together, right? There's no one correct information architecture that is the answer with a capital T and a capital A. There's lots of different solutions and there's lots of different ways that it could work. And it's figuring out, well, where do we want to put the emphasis? And what about, what are those patterns in the content that are going to help us best support our users or our customers or whoever is actually going to be consuming this content. So can you give us an example of uh, maybe a time where you uh, made use of uh, this lens or something like it anyway, where you're sort of looking at um, a collection of things, uh, and recognizing whether all those things really belonged together or whether things were things of different types were being mixed? Yeah, so I've been working with a client for a number of years now, and they are a video game publisher, and they create a lot of different um, really big video games. And when we start, first started working with them, they put together a marketing site. So new game was coming out and you could see the trailers and who the heroes are and what the swords are going to be and all that kind of stuff by now. And like six months, eight months after the game came out, that site would disappear it would come down because they were going to start working on version two and you'd have to go over to the support site or the forum site, or you could go to the store and buy the t-shirt for it. Or, you know, you had all these other places that you could go to find the information, but there was no single hub for it. And we were told that, you know, all these games are so different. They, they're different um, gameplay styles and different players, like different aspects. And like each one is this unique flower, this unique butterfly, right? In this ecosystem. And so we went through and we're like, well, these game sites, like they always have a trailer. They always give you like the lore, or the story behind the game. Like, are you a spy going into, you know, where South America to like, kill the drug lords or whatever you know like are what are the weapon types what are the maps like what dlc or like additional content can you buy i'm like those are all pretty much the same they all have a different look and feel like so it's game a versus game b but at the end of the day it's all the same content and like the marketing team was just like shut the front door like oh my god <laughs> like this was revolutionary for them right and it's taken us like four years now but they've actually gotten to a point where they could more systematically crank out these game sites because they're not reinventing the wheel every time they know they're going to have trailers they know they're going to have news they know they're going to have x y and z and we've also started saying things like 
why do you have to leave here, go to another island to get your support or see your community content? Let's bring those in. And so we have these game hubs where we've brought in everything. So you just go to gamesite.com and you can find everything within the ecosystem that you need. And when we talk with users, like they are so excited about that. It's not how the company is structured, which makes it very difficult and why it's taken us four years, but it's something that really resonates with the players. And it just makes sense. That's awesome. What a great uh, example. Um, I asked earlier about sort of your favorite moments uh, and uh, in, in processes. And for me, one of my favorite moments is um, uh, it doesn't happen on every project, but um, based on whatever, the lore of the company, the, the things that have been there forever, mm -hmm. people assume that there's a, a category that is essentially monolithic, right? That it's sort of kind of like or homogenous is maybe a better way of looking at it, right? And um, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example uh, recently that I can share, but um, we're sort of looking at this category of stuff and I do my thing where I ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. The more questions I ask, the more I realize that this is really sort of two categories in one and that there's a meaningful distinction in there mm -hmm. that people have come to take for granted, right? Um, and that what they thought were apples were really apples, uh, let's just say two different flavors of apple, right? Like a meaningful, important distinction, let's say Granny Smith and Gala, right? Like you wouldn't want to use those and, you know, mix those up necessarily. It's important to distinguish what those, those two things are. Um, uh, so identifying distinct categories where historically none had existed before. And I'm wondering if that is something that is unique to my experience or you feel like you've encountered something like that in your I, own work. Going back to that video game company example, um, help and support. Support nice. we have found means technical support for the players. So I am getting error code number XYZ number 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 pound sign, right? Like why does it keep crashing when I'm on, you know, quest number zero zero, whatever, right? Like I have technical my billing isn't going through. Like I never got my CD ROM in the mail. Like really like technical crunchy questions versus help is more the which sword is better to upgrade when I'm only level four? Like, or how do I beat the boss on level 47? Like what, you know, it's more tactical type stuff. Like, well, when would I wanna like snipe someone versus I wanna, you know, do an assassinate or whatever. Like, you know, like it's more, how do I be a better player? Or how do amazing? I get over this one, like, you know, key like how do i make it so i can jump on the three levels i keep falling off and there are very different types of content that support those different um types of help and support information um faqs great for the you're getting this crash well maybe you need to update your video driver you know like it's really cut and dry versus maybe it's a gameplay video that you know was, is going to show you how to do that triple walkthrough and the right, flip. Right. Yeah. you know and like a walkthrough thing or it's like linking over to um the forums where customers has built their own maps of an area or whatever like it's a different way 
of being and the players also like they expect to get the technical stuff you don't necessarily expect the company who made the game to give you the cheats right or like the back end <laughs> like right. way to like beat the stuff right? right like so it's like there's also a bit of like people have different expectations of yeah, if they're going to find this content or not yeah i mean we i'm so used to seeing help and support as kind of this smooshed together term but i love that you've identified that these are again distinct categories not just covering different subjects but ex but um different expectations in terms yeah. of how that content is built and formatted that that was a perfect example thank you for that um uh i love it um so i've been asking folks about how they um teach others how to apply these lenses um or really just do information architecture and i'm mm -hmm. i'm curious if you were to coach uh, someone, maybe a newer designer, uh, someone without as much information architecture, direct information architecture experience, what might you suggest to them in terms of how they go about uh, making use of this lens in their own work? Um, so specifically, how would I teach someone to do the apples to apples type thing? Um, uh, I'm interested in that, but if you've got another idea, um, I'm open to that too. Um, I think a lot of it is um, a lot of it is co-creation um, in some ways of like finding that person who on the team is that subject matter expert who is like, you know, the IA and waiting type person. And, you know, as I'm doing like a content analysis, because that's to me really is where apples to apples comes in, like where I'm like doing that, breaking it down into the, the different bits and figuring out what we have. And I've I've done projects where I'll take, we divide up the site where we're, I'll start and I'll show like, this is the spreadsheet we're gonna use. And this is what everything means. I filled some of the stuff in, we're gonna do it together. Then they go off and like, okay, you're gonna do the support section and I'm gonna do the company section, right? And we go through and then we come back and we compare and we talk about it. And so that's kind of like the, most hands-on example of that, of like sitting together and like doing the work. And then we kind of go off to our own and come back together. Um, I haven't done that kind of work in a long time. Mostly now mm. clients just want me to go off and do it rather mm. than, you know, have someone internally kind of do the hours. But in our ideation workshops, that's where a lot of this kind of like, okay, we've come up with these content types based on that analysis. Now there's a group of 14 of us, and we're going to start figuring out how these pieces go back together. And so that's where it's, it's less about the identification and more of like trying to figure out like does Gaia and, um, you know, the granny smith actually go together or what right. are the significant differences is it the right. fact that they're both apples or that they taste different or their color or you know what is it what is it about help content and support content that they belong in the same areas and where should we break them apart nice. and so you start having those conversations once we've kind of identified the pieces right and that also is a, a little more tactical and so if you have people who aren't quite as like i want to see all the details right. like they can they're able to latch on to that right and then you know often uh, that comes in the form of sketching actually oh okay you mean sketching out what the ui looks like or just you. sketching out like how how could we put this help content together 
like how you know like what would it look like if we okay we have this concept of a hub like a game hub what would all those pieces be and we have like all the pieces together you know laid out on sticky notes or whatever and then they can move stuff around and that seems to be a good way to kind of get people a little more tactical right um and by going making it making it physical helps um I love the I love the advice though, just um, helping people understand that IA, as abstract as it can be and as complex as it can be, it is still not a solitary effort, right? right. Um, and that um, uh, just having someone to talk through IA challenges with is such an important part of the process um, because I feel like we don't always recognize the complexities that we're dealing with until we get to say them out loud to mm -hmm. someone and have someone react uh, to those to those things. So just being able to divide up the work and then come back together and sort of talk through, here's what I did, even if it feels redundant, it ends up being incredibly valuable because it helps you kind of uh, validate the approach that right. you took. Yeah. And there's something about saying it out loud that you're like, oh, wait, no, actually, this should be more over here, shouldn't it? Right. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, let, let me let me think about this some more. Like, let's talk about this more. So um, another thing that you and I have in common is games. We play a lot of games. Um, and another thing that we do at the IA conference is play games. Yeah. Can I ask you what you're what you're playing these days? What is what is that? It, what is your go to game these days? So the game we're playing the most right now is Dungeons and Dragons. OK. My husband is the game master, the dungeon master, and we've been playing that game for probably, I don't know, whenever fifth edition came out. So, oh my gosh, now. The, same, the same, same campaign. campaign. Yep. Holy moly. Yeah. So, um, mostly, I think we have one character who is the same. Like, we, right. we keep, they come you know, and go. But they come and go. Do you feel like, um, some the other day was asking me, like, uh, how did you get so good at facilitating? conversations and I was like I play a lot of role-playing games and as it was coming out of my mouth I was like these are not the words that I should be saying in this moment <laughs> right now to this particular person right. I mean I genuinely feel uh, and genuinely believe that as people who are often responsible for leading and facilitating creative processes that there is almost no better way to practice than playing role-playing games. Is that is that been your experience or is that just a weird Dan thing? It's not something that I thought about before, but as you say that, I'm like, oh my God, yes. And I think it's not just role-playing, it's board games too. Like, you know, it's thinking about the strategy and the steps and what comes next. And just like, especially like cooperative games, like all of that, like, right. you know, role-playing games, like we're sitting around and we tell stories together, right? right. Like you know, how are we going to solve this problem and all that kind of stuff? Like, it totally makes sense. And I also have gotten that, like, do I want to let my nerd flag fly that high and like <laughs> admit that like I'm that kind of gamer? And like, it's usually not the at the first time I meet the client, but oh. you know, like it ain't often, I'm, I'm, I share it more now than I right. did say, 10 years ago. I mean, it's gotten so much more popular, but it's also this, it's like, um, it's like recognizing information architecture, budding information architecture. Like you're like, oh, this, that person is such a gamer. You just know it. So 
I saw someone he was sharing his screen and he had D&D as a little folder in his bookmarks <laughs> are and I'm like mental note got to talk yep. to that guy. I don't I don't personally play Dungeons and Dragons. I play a lot of role playing games. I play probably three or four games a week, uh, three or four sessions of games a week, but I do not play Dungeons and Dragons um, for a lot of reasons, but um, I have discovered uh, smaller independent role-playing games that are far, that have sort of taken the idea of um, collaborative storytelling and really um, just tried to do a lot uh, with that. And I find, I find it just incredibly gratifying to sit around with a group of people and start from nothing mm -hmm. and two three hours later we've got this whole world that yeah. we've built together that's still just um um just makes me so excited like i just yeah. get kind of giddy about that yeah. is there something about dnd that you that you really like um for me i do like i like that high fantasy i like being the elf or whatever and i am very much of a like kill monsters get gold i'm cool with that <laughs> you know? i'm there yes <laughs> you know i want to run up i i like the crunchy bits i like rolling right. the dice you know my husband is always looking at independent games and we have we have i don't know how many shelves of you know books of manuals of different formats and stuff and he actually mines them and tries to bring some of those oh that's good to, are, you know, whether it's the problems or the way he's crafting the encounters or whatnot. Right. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I'm just like, meh, I like when I know. <laughs> it's my, so I got my wife involved in role-playing games as well. Yeah. And um, she would always play an Elven Ranger, no matter what game we were mm -hmm. playing, it was either the Elven Ranger or the closest equivalent. Right. And we were like, Sarah, why don't you try something different? And she was like, I like what I know. And by making that the same in every game, it allowed her to kind of spread her wings in other mm -hmm. ways. And it was a, right. it was a unique perspective that I was not uh, yeah. expecting from her. I found so. I had a dwarf barbarian who smelled bad. She had a tax, bad taxidermy wolf hat that she wore. And she was my so favorite good. character so far. So good. Like, yeah, she that would just so run good. in and just beat shit. And it was a lot of fun. I miss Ginka. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing in a game right now. Uh, it's a, the game is called Godbound, and it's okay. um it's similar to D D and how it's played, but what it's um but the, the conceit is that the the characters have been granted the powers of gods. So and my my character is the god of enlightenment. Um, okay. and, um, uh, one of his, he draws his power from the sun and he draws his power from knowledge. Um, okay. but, um, his personality changes over the course of a day because he's so connected with the sun. So when the sun is high in the air, he is at his most arrogant. Okay. And at night, his whole visage, his whole visage transforms and he becomes humble and kindly. Uh, and so this has been just a joy uh, to play. And I'm playing with yeah. a, a game, a game facilitator who has allowed me to fly with this. Uh -huh. So nice. I'll, I'll ask like, uh, so are we, is it morning? Is it noon? Is it dusk? Is it night? Right. Because that changes how I play the character. And it has been so much fun. fun. So that would be fun. <laughs> I love uh, it. 
can't, I can't believe we just geeked out for like two minutes <laughs> on games. And that's yeah, going to oh, go come on. I can totally believe that. <laughs> I mean, I can believe that. But on an IA podcast, that's going to go on YouTube in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Uh, Kira, thank you so much for joining me. It was such a great pleasure to catch up with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Dan.